Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's the biggest week of the sports calendar. We got college football in full swing, pro football in full swing, the start of basketball season, start of hockey season, baseball playoffs, and the WNBA Finals between the Liberty and the Aces. BetOnline Sportsbook has you covered, and if you use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, you can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description of this episode, no matter the sport. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fan-tabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this fun podcast thing. You can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose We appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is. You may be listening on this fine and fun Wednesday, October 18th. At least it's Wednesday, October 18th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but again, that's the whole purpose of this podcast thing. It might be October 19th, 20th, 21st, maybe October 17th. It probably won't be October 17th because this podcast hasn't been published by October 17th, but maybe you're listening on October 17th, 2024. However and whenever you may be listening, thanks for stopping in. We've got a great show coming at you today. It has been too long since we've had a chance to travel to our Star Wars baseball universe, really about a week, going back to our fun-filled podcast last Thursday with Razor Rosenthal, which, by the way, you should definitely check that out. Some of the content hasn't aged all that great. It's obviously a a preview of the NFL and college football weekend, but the baseball analysis we give, oh, impeccable baseball analysis on all four of those DS series, the four teams that are still left. We previewed the Rangers and Astros series, a preview that has aged quite well thus far. You guys should definitely check that out, but today we are going to hop back in our Millennium Falcon and travel to a galaxy far, far away known as Major League Baseball for our climactic finish, the the big conclusion to our Empire Strikes Back season in a galaxy far, far away, because for those who may be unaware, we have uh, a three-year running bit 
about how Major League Baseball and Star Wars have basically been identical stories over the past couple years with the Holy Dodger Empire and the San Diego Resistance fighting back and the Met Army of Queens in New York trying to just spend all the resources in the world to win the war for control over the galaxy and the swamp planet of Philadelphia being introduced at the end of the second or at the start of the second movie and now we're headed to the end of the second movie and next year's season is going to be our Jedi episode of the baseball Star Wars saga and baseball for me is a lot like Star Wars because it was really really cool as a kid and it's just been diminishing returns ever since but I still feel like a nerd about baseball the same way that kids in the 90s felt nerdy about Star Wars it's all very fun and very stupid and we have this introductory Star Wars scroll to set the stage for our Major League Baseball Star Wars universe here in the postseason. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner, while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim, who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander, the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. All right.
here we are in the league championship series on a crash course for a potential Texas Ranger versus Philadelphia Eagle Super Bowl battle. And I am very, very excited to talk about Texas and Houston. First, on the Diamondbacks and Philadelphia side, Philadelphia is a heavy favorite to come out and win that series. We're recording this right before Game 2 is slated to play, so we don't know whether Philly's up 2-0 or Arizona tied it at 1-1. I know that Arizona gave it their best punch in Game 1 with Zach Allen. I mean, he's going to finish second place for the Cy Young Award behind Blake Snell. The Phillies had Zach Wheeler on the mound, who is their number one starter, but also, I mean, in a vacuum, normally we think Zach Gallen is a better starter than Zach Wheeler. And the Diamondbacks gave it their best punch. They lost game one. Maybe they'll end up winning a game two against Aaron Nola. But, I mean, the first game you had Schwarber with a leadoff homer, Bryce Harper with a leadoff homer. And the thing that I think is super interesting about Bryce Harper, and I talked about this with our friend Juju Talk Sports in a YouTube video that you'll see coming out sometime in the next few days, is that Bryce Harper, Jeff Passan put out this great tweet about Bryce Harper that talked about how Bryce Harper was this 16-year-old phenom who left high school to train for the major leagues, was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, number one pick in the draft, regarded as the best baseball prospect since Alex Rodriguez was picked number one overall, and not only did Bryce Harper meet the expectations, he's exceeded them, won two MVPs, one with the Nationals, one with the Phillies. Uh, last year, they went to the championship game while Bryce Harper had like one of the five highest OPSs in the history of postseason baseball. And this year, he's come back and done basically the exact same thing with five home runs through the first seven games of the Phillies playoff run. It's just been absolutely remarkable what Bryce Harper has been doing. And it's so interesting that Bryce Harper had all the expectations going into this experiment, ex- uh, this experiment being his career. I mean, he was, again, cover of Sports Illustrated uh, at 18 years old, number one pick in the draft. You know, Bryce Harper was this highly regarded prospect and the fact that he's met and exceeded all the expectations is going to be a hall of famer and now has philadelphia on the verge of being the first team to go to -to back-to-back world series since the dodgers in 2017 2018 i know the astros went back to back the last couple years with 2021 and 2022 and they might have a chance of getting there in 2023 but in terms of a non-Astros type team because the Astros are kind of in the middle of this run so them and the Phillies I think are kind of in the same kind of breath right now and kind of the same run the Phillies have been the class of the National League for the last two years despite the fact the Braves won the division both years the Phillies knocked them out of the playoffs both years and we haven't been on the air to talk baseball since the Phillies knocked out the Braves. I mean, we joined you when Juju, uh, sorry, when Razor Rosenthal and I did that awesome baseball analysis last Thursday. Uh, it was right before Game Three, but the end of that Atlanta series was just remarkable by Philadelphia. Not just Nick Castellanos hitting two home runs in two at bats against Spencer Strider and all the hoopla about Spencer Strider saying that. He doesn't like pitching in ballparks that are loud. And then the Philly crowd purposely chanting, we want Strider after game three. 
and then Strider pitching a gem, like silencing the Philadelphia crowd, had them, had them silenced, had the game within reaching distance for the Braves to go back home and play a game five winner go home, and then just the last batter he was going to face to give up that second homer to Castellanos was just tough because they would have at least tied the game. If it's two to one, if it's a two to one game, Kevin Pillar probably steals home on that pass ball with Ronald Acuna up to bat and the base is loaded. Maybe Acuna gets a chance to bat in the ninth inning of that game instead of the last batter. The game being a shortstop who was called up from AAA in the middle of the season. Maybe that's how it ends for the Braves, but they were so close and then just one pitch from Strider on the last batter he was going to face. And having it be Nick Castellanos, that one hurt. And by the way, Castellanos hit three homers in three consecutive at-bats between the end of game f- between the end of game four and then the start of game one. For him to homer in three consecutive at-bats and for the Phillies themselves to hit 15 homers in a five-game stretch is just absolutely ridiculous. Ridiculous how good the Philadelphia Phillies have been hitting the baseball in the playoffs and how they have two legitimate number one starters and three legitimate bullpen arms in Dominguez and Jose Alvarado and Craig Kimbrell who can come in in basically any situation and lock up the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. It's been a fantastic run for the Phillies and I expect that they'll get back to the World Series. And I think if they go to -to back-to-back World Series... Bryce Harper might win an LCS MVP for the second year in a row, and it just further solidifies the incredible run that Bryce Harper has been on that, like Jeff Passan talked about, exceeded every expectations of really, really high expectations that were set on him when he was coming out of the draft back in 2010 or 2009. I think he was the 09. No, he was the 2010 draft. Strasburg was 09. Harper was 2010. And for him to exceed every expectation, have the Hall of Fame career, have all the postseason heroics, make it so there's an actual conversation between his career achievements and Mike Trout's career achievements, I think it's incredibly interesting as a story. And Bryce Harper has been incredible to root for. Because there's basically, I used to feel this way about Paul Goldschmidt when he played on Arizona. And I was watching a lot of San Diego baseball because I grew up in San Diego and that was what was on TV. Goldschmidt was one of those players where when he came up to bat, I was always afraid the baseball was going to go out. Like the ball off his bat always was afraid it was going to go out. Right now, Harper and Jordan Alvarez are those two guys. Like I was watching the the Texas and Houston broadcast for game two, and they had a graphic go up that was basically putting Jordan Alvarez's career postseason statistics next to David Ortiz's career postseason statistics. And through their first 50 postseason games, they're basically the same player, which is incredible to think about because David Ortiz made a Hall of Fame career off of just postseason heroics. I know David Ortiz had great numbers in the regular season and hit 500 homers and all that. David Ortiz's regular season statistics do not bear themselves out to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. David Ortiz was a first ballot Hall of Famer based on postseason heroics. The fact that Jordan Alvarez has those postseason heroics has moments that we vividly remember for Jordan Alvarez. That Jordan Alvarez hit the walk-off homer against the Mariners that was one of the most badass moments we can remember in a playoff baseball game. When Jordan Alvarez hit the home run against the Yankees 
in the ALC uh, the ALCS last year when he hit the game ceiling home run in Game Six of the World Series to close it out against Philadelphia in the eighth in- or the seventh inning, I think is when that home run was the the one that went over the center field hedge at the batter's eye in Houston. For Jordan Alvarez to have those postseason moments. And for Jordan Alvarez to also have regular season statistics that will probably lead to him being a Hall of Famer if he keeps it up for the remainder of his career. Jordan Alvarez is the other guy in the sport right now that I just am constantly afraid is going to hit a home run every single time. Or at least constantly think because this is the shitty thing that I'm realizing right now. As fascinated as I am by the Houston Astros, we've read multiple books on the Houston Astros here between the cheated book Andy Martino did, uh, the book on uh, these, uh, I forgot the name of the the book that, oh, the MVP machine by uh, the MVP machine that talks about the, uh, the analytics revolution, the second analytics revolution in baseball. Uh, talking about how the Houston Astros from top to bottom align their organization and use uh, technology and analytics to actually improve player performances like a player like Jordan Alvarez who was traded as a minor leaguer to the Astros in exchange for a starting pitcher that only played like one season on the Dodgers. Uh, Alvarez develops into a Hall of Famer. J.D. Martinez is a guy who was floundering around the MLB, who gets in the Houston system, redevelops his swing, goes to Detroit, and has a, a 10-year Major League Baseball career. Uh, Garrett Cole's career completely turns around once he goes from Pittsburgh to Houston. Justin Verlander has a second Hall of Fame career outside of the one that he already had in Detroit when he goes to Houston. Uh, Jeremy Pena comes in, replaces Carlos Correa, and that's the difference between the Astros losing in the World Series when Correa and Bregman hit a combined 4 for 48 in the World Series against the Braves in 2021. Swap out Carlos Correa, slide in Jeremy Pena, win the World Series in 2022. And by the way, this year, now Jeremy Pena has regressed a lot. He's a below average hitter this season, has struggled in the postseason, is now like the eight hitter for the Astros and is more of like a defensive, a defensive pro while a batting liability. That's part of, that's partially going to explain why the Astros will not make the World Series this year, or at least the odds are ever in their favor that they won't make the World Series this year because historically teams that lose the first two games at home in the ALCS are 0 and 21 in uh or in NECS in league cha- in a seven game series teams that lose the first two games at home have never gone on to win a league championship series they're 0 and 21 and the Astros have done that now losing the first two games of the series Despite the fact, by the way, that Jordan Alvarez hit two fucking home runs in Game 2 against the Rangers, and they still lost 5-4 to four at the end of that game. And despite the fact that Alex Bregman is once again having a struggling series, that Altuve doesn't have a hit yet in the series, and was the reason that they lost at the end in the 8th inning by having the embarrassing moment of not touching second base on the way back around after he tagged on a Bregman, or after he was returning to the base off of that Bregman fly ball. And despite the fact that Jordan Alvarez is crushing like that, and despite the fact that Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Pena has regressed to the mean, and the Astros are here again in their seventh consecutive league championship series because they've replaced everyone from their previous core. 
like everyone on the team from their previous core except for Bregman and Altuve and Justin Verlander has been replaced on that team. They swap out Correa, slide in Jeremy Pena. You swap out George Springer, slide in Kyle Tucker. Uh, slide out uh, Dallas Keuchel, bring in Framber Valdez, left-hander that gives you Cy Young quality number two starting pitching numbers. They've basically replaced everyone on that team. They used to have Yuli Gurriel. We'll slide in Jose Abreu, and Jose Abreu is basically the same as Yuli Gurriel at this point. Uh, you can subtract... Uh, I forgot the name of the... Uh, I mean, Michael Brantley's still there, but the point being, like, uh, Chaz McCormick in center field is the guy who makes the game-saving play in the 2021 LCS against Boston after they replaced... Well, I guess at the time it was George Springer, but the point still being like they have replaced the core four that was previously Altuve and Springer and Correa and Bregman. It's now Altuve and Tucker and Alvarez and they still have Alex Bregman. But the point being like they've replaced every ancillary piece on the team and have kept the machine rolling despite the fact that they are a machine, despite the fact that they're now on their third general manager during this run, despite the fact that everyone is viewed as interchangeable and they treat their employees like crap and you had the whole scandal with not just the, the cheating scandal but also the assistant general manager who was berating female reporters after they traded for Roberto Osuna in the midst of him being suspended for domestic violence after everything that's happened with the Astros after they have essentially created a clone army in our Star Wars universe that's basically a machine that just churns out bodies and churns out people within the organization and everyone is disposable even though I know that the Astros are a machine and even though the Astros embody the lowest parts of the analytics revolution and frat culture and Ivy League culture in baseball, even so, I still find myself emotionally rooting for the Houston Astros. I find myself emotionally rooting for Houston to get through to the next round and have a World Series rematch against Philadelphia, which is weird because the Texas Rangers, as we've been talking about since the start of the year, are such an incredibly interesting story. And I wanted this matchup specifically. I wanted Texas and Houston. I wanted to enjoy these two teams playing each other in the ALCS. I personally wanted it in the ALDS because I thought a five-game sample size would be even more interesting than a seven-game sample size between these two teams. I thought with a smoking gun, this series would go seven games. I thought it would be the best series we've seen in baseball probably since the 2019 World Series between Washington and Houston. Maybe you could argue the 2020 series between Tampa Bay and and Houston, or the 2020 series between the Braves and Dodgers in the LCS, but I thought this was going to be the best series we had seen in baseball in years. And then I started watching it and found myself emotionally rooting for the Houston Astros, and I kind of hate that I found myself emotionally rooting for the Houston Astros, because the Texas Rangers are kind of doing the way Everyone else has done it in baseball and trying to build a winner. And they were a team that had no expectations of being here this year. None. Not an expectation. The Texas Rangers were a team that was struggling for years. For years, the Texas Rangers were coming up short time and time again from expectations. A team that was built around Joey Gallo and a bunch of rotating pitchers like Lance Lynn and Mike Miner. 
they they tried to do the developmental project thing. They tried to have a low payroll. They tried to develop and make strategic trades and stuff like that. And at the end of it all, Texas said, fuck it. We are just going to be big money spenders and we're going to essentially buy ourselves a certain number of wins in baseball, which by the way, you can do in baseball, a sport that is a bit, the biggest sport of the haves and have nots. You can just spend X number of dollars and it guarantees you basically a shot in this random gauntlet of the baseball playoffs. I know people will come out this year and say the three best teams in the sport all missed the playoffs this year, the Yankees, the Padres, and the Mets. Three highest payrolls in baseball. They all missed the playoffs. Number four is the Dodgers. They made the playoffs. Number five is Philadelphia. They are still in the championship series. And number six is Texas. Texas is two games away from making it to the World Series. And by the way, the machine of the Houston Astros are sitting at 11, just outside of the first luxury tax threshold. And Texas basically decided if we spend X number of dollars, we can guarantee ourselves X number of wins. Even the San Diego Padres, who were a disaster this year, were still incredibly unlucky in one-score games. And the San Diego Padres only had a few games this entire season in which they the, the Padres and Diamondbacks take this as an example. The Padres and Diamondbacks were separated by two games at the end of the season. Despite this disaster of a season for San Diego, despite everyone pointing to them and saying it was a flop, they were two games behind a Diamondbacks team that is in the NLCS. Baseball is a crapshoot. If you buy a certain number of wins, you buy yourself a spot into the random chaotic crapshoot that is the Major League Baseball playoffs. And that's what the Texas Rangers did this year. If we sign a $300 million Corey Seager and he plays at an all-star level, if we sign a $100 million starter in Nathan Eovaldi and he pitches like a number one starter, as Nathan Eovaldi has... If we sign Marcus Semyon as a second baseman to $180 million, and that $180 million buys us a number one hitter and a starting second baseman for the next five years. Which, by the way, is the same bet that the Toronto Blue Jays made when they signed George Springer. George Springer guarantees us a starting center fielder and a number one hitter for the next five years. If we spend that money to guarantee that position and we sign a $300 million all-star, and we bring in Nathan Eovaldi as a top-end number one starter, and we have a couple of strategic hits among young players. Because remember, everything that Philadelphia was doing with bringing in Bryce Harper, bringing in Trey Turner, bringing in Schwarber, bringing in Castellanos, bringing in Zach Wheeler as a free agent pitcher, signing Craig Kimbrell, that machine doesn't quite work without Alec Bohm making a million dollars, Reese Hoskins still being in arbitration and him being a developmental project. I know he tore his knee up this year, but last year Reese Hoskins was a key part of everything they were doing in the World Series run. Brandon Marsh coming over from Philad- from the Angels. This doesn't succeed without those strategic moves also being in place. The reason the Mets fell apart this year was because the big money moves didn't work out, but they were still getting production from Jeff McNeil, from Pete Alonzo, guys that they had drafted and developed that are also part of the core that are not as expensive as the top end players. 
San Diego, same thing. San Diego had the success with Machado, got players in the door, like made the big trade for Juan Soto, signed Xander Bogarts. But if not for drafting and developing guys like Jake, well, they traded for Jake Cronenworth, but if not for guys like Jake Cronenworth, if not for Fernando Tatis Jr., if not for having those developmental projects, they don't have the same level of success that they have last year when they made it to the NLCS. And again, what San Diego did was basically buy themselves a ticket to the the dance, the, the wild chaotic playoff dance. The Rangers won 90 games this year with the fifth highest payroll in baseball. Spending X number of dollars guaranteed them a spot in this dance. And since Texas has gotten there in their first roundabout way, I mean, this is the first time as this core of the team that they've gotten there. But in this first run that Texas has been on, they haven't lost a single game. Not one. Not one game Texas has lost against the Tampa Bay Rays, against Baltimore, and now against Houston. And when we first did the playoff preview, this was the thing we said about Texas. Getting to avoid Houston in the ALDS, the smaller sample size matchup, getting to play Tampa Bay and Baltimore instead of Houston may work to the Rangers' advantage because even though the Rangers don't have this core playing together in the playoffs, they do have players who have been to the playoffs before, and that's part of what the money was buying them. Nathan Eovaldi is a former uh, World, not a World Series MVP, but he closed out a World Series game, or he closed out Game 4 of the 18-inning the game that led to the Boston World Series. Corey Seager's a former World Series MVP. Adolis Garcia and Josh Young, who, by the way, I was making that whole point about the Mets' young players strategically working out well, too. Um, those those are the pieces that Texas has. Adolis Garcia, who's an all-star developed through their own system, and Josh Young, who's going to win AL Rookie of the Year. Those are the strategic pieces that they've picked up along the way to support Corey Seager and Marcus Semien and the big money that they threw out all over the place. The Max Scherzers, the Ivaldis. Andrew Heaney being a strategic pickup has helped. Like the Rangers have a very specific, the Rangers have had a very similar team. There's nothing special about what the Rangers are doing. If you have enough money, you too can spend money and have this kind of success. Buy yourself a five seed. Buy yourself, which by the way is exactly what the San Diego Padres did last year. They were the five seed. They spent X number of dollars, it bought them a ticket into the dance, and they beat the Dodgers once the playoffs rolled around. Texas bought themselves a spot into the dance, they beat Tampa Bay, who had been a below 500 team since May, despite the raucous start that they got off to the season on. They beat Tampa Bay, they eliminated Baltimore pretty easily, because the Orioles were trying to the, the Orioles were trying to be smart and strategic about when uh, how they spent and how they were envisioning their long term team. And by the way, most of those players on the Orioles had zero playoff experience as compared to Texas with a manager. By the way, that's also Bruce Bochy. That's the other part I forgot because if they're spending all this money on those players, I can't even imagine the ungodly amount of money they spent to bring Bruce Bochy out of retirement to manage that team. The, the manager that everyone had been trying to get, the Mets had been trying to coach out of retirement. San Diego had tried to coax out of retirement. San Francisco had tried to coax out of retirement. The Yankees were interested. Everyone wanted Bruce Bochy. And I can't even imagine the ungodly amount of money that 
Texas threw at him in order to bring him out of retirement. Texas is in this position two games away from the World Series, not because of anything specifically remarkable that they did, but because their willingness to say, we will spend X number of dollars over four years, and that will buy us a shot. That will get us a shot at the dance, a shot at the Astros, and a shot at winning in the American League, despite the fact that we're not doing anything super remarkable. San Diego did the same thing Texas did. Threw a bunch of money at some players, had a couple of all-stars they had drafted and or, uh, traded for and developed, Over the years, Fernando Tatis, Jake Cronenworth, a strategic pickup like Joe Musgrove, where they just had to trade David Bednar, who is an all-star closer, but they flipped a future all-star closer in exchange for Joe Musgrove, and then traded for another all-star closer in Josh Hader. Strategic development and big free agent signings for all-star Manny Machado and all-star Juan Soto and all-star Xander Bogarts uh, and all-star Yu Darvish. Picking up, spending a certain amount of money will guarantee you a certain number of wins in baseball. San Diego played the lottery in their one year of making the playoffs, and they cashed out by beating the Dodgers and then losing in the league championship series. The Phillies did the same thing with signing Bryce Harper, trading for Castellanos, signing Kyle Schwarber, having a couple strategic young pieces in the right places, like drafting and developing Austin Nola, like drafting and developing Reese Hoskins, like drafting and developing Alec Bohm, trading for Brandon Marsh, strategic moves here and there. Trading for Jose Alvarado from Tampa was a great strategic move by them. Strategic moves here and there built what Philadelphia has become, and they happen to be a roster that is equipped for the playoffs, that has beaten the Braves two years in a row when we all thought the Braves were going to beat Philadelphia. We thought they were going to beat them in 22. We thought they were going to beat them in 23. Philly beat the Braves, and... They got into the dance and won in the crapshoot of baseball playoffs when no one thought they were going to beat the Braves. Very few people. I shouldn't say no one. Very few people thought they were going to beat the Braves. Texas hasn't done anything super remarkable, and yet they find themselves two games away from knocking out the Astros and going to the World Series to play a Philadelphia team that also didn't do anything particularly remarkable. All they did was have a lot of money to spend, spent that money strategically, and got themselves into the playoffs as a wild card. Not that Phillies have not won a division title in over 15 years, okay? The Philadelphia Phillies haven't won a division title since 2009. And yet they're about to go to back-to-back World Series. Spending enough money in baseball gets you into the game, and Texas wanted into the big money game. They spent the money strategically over three off seasons and three MLB seasons, made strategic trades, strategic free agent signings, got into the playoffs without winning a division title and still find themselves two games away from making it to the World Series. Because in a sport of haves and have nots like Major League Baseball, if you're willing to spend X number of dollars, 200 million, top six in the league, above the luxury tax penalties, That creates a strategic advantage that won't guarantee you regular season wins, but will guarantee you just enough to get a crack in this random chaotic postseason playoff format. And maybe, just maybe, Nathan Evaldi is going to give you a shutout, uh, or sorry, Andrew uh, Jordan Montgomery, a guy that they traded for at the deadline this year as a number two starter, Jordan Montgomery just might give you a shutout in game one against the Houston Astros. And Nathan Ovaldi might come in and give you a solid performance in Game 2. 
But then you score four runs in the first inning off Framber Valdez, who had the lowest ERA of any player since the 2022 postseason. Baseball's random. Baseball's a crapshoot. And sometimes the breaks go your way. Sometimes you have the really, really strong performance at the really right time. And you too can be a playoff darling like the Texas Rangers two games away from the World Series that somehow I'm still rooting against because emotionally I want the Houston Astros and the Philadelphia Phillies to end up playing in the World Series. I don't know why, but it's just the way that my heart and my mind seem to be going. Either way, I'm excited to watch that series continue playing out. I'm excited to watch the Phillies likely beat the crap out of the Diamondbacks and get to the World Series. It is all very entertaining and very exciting, and I'm ready for some more playoff baseball which is getting ready to get started right about now so i am gonna call it here go watch game two of the diamondbacks and phillies and chat with you guys again tomorrow reminder we've got episodes every monday wednesday and friday uh monday wednesday thursday here on the take it easy podcast occasionally friday saturday sunday we'll have wired up bonus content where we see fit just subscribe to the podcast feed you'll get that bonus content coming in every now and again Thank you for stopping in today. Thank you for traveling with us to our Star Wars baseball universe. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose... Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner, while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim, who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, The Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, 
Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.